Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Good morning. I'm Amanda, and I've been here uh, about eight and a half years. Um, this morning, our roommate and very good friend asked me if I was feeling nervous, and I said, not too much. These are my people. So thank you for that, um, but do know that I am a little nervous. <laughs> Today's scripture reading is Luke 10:38 through 42, which can be found on page 1006 in the Bible in your pews. <clears throat> As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Before Desmond and Rory came along, there were Sydney and Aiden. Before I became a mama, I was an aunt. When Sydney was born, I fell head over heels in love with a baby for the first time. My brother is one of my favorite people on earth, and his daughter, by extension, is one of the true lights in my life. She was about nine months old the first time she spent the night with me in my small apartment in Selwood. I imagined a relaxing evening at home with my sweet little niece. <laughs> So I planned to make fish tacos, play with Sydney, give her a bath, etc. I was really naive, as your giggling indicates that you understand. <laughs> I remember the mess of flour and cabbage and splattered oil all over the kitchen counters as I'd had to abandon my cooking <laughs> to keep safe this little tot who was not content to sit and watch doe-eyed as I played Sally Homemaker. <laughs> I remember how precious bath time and reading were. I also remember the shocking jolt of her cries in the middle of the night and how it felt torturous to get up each time, but also how tender it was to soothe her back to sleep. Sydney's now nine and a half and her brother Aiden is eight. Maddie and I gratefully got to practice on them regularly before we had our own children. What that first night with Sydney revealed, and what every single day of parenting has confirmed, is that everything they say about parenting is true. <laughs> my love for my sons has been even more intense and immediate than I had imagined. 
I felt immediately more connected to my husband, more like a team than ever before. The sleep deprivation was every bit as painful as I'd feared, even more. And ironic that last night our kids were up a lot in the middle of the night. <laughs> Parenting is sacred work, and the challenge is dizzying. It asks you to give all of yourself, and it gives you a gift beyond measure. So everything they say has been true in my experience. But one thing I had not anticipated and certainly had not grasped is that motherhood is like one of those magnifying mirrors, except it magnifies things not just a little bit, but about 100 times over. This is wonderful and daunting, much like parenting itself. Motherhood magnifies my already tender heart. It magnifies my struggle with punctuality. It magnifies my strong desire to focus on what's important. It magnifies my tendency to accommodate others. It magnifies my gratitude. This all comes together in an interesting way in regards to my wrestling match with anxiety. The experience of anxiety is sometimes magnified because there are now children to care for in the midst of feeling anxious and overwhelmed. But so too, my belief that there is another way is also magnified. For me, anxiety is a lot about failure. The idea that I'm doing a terrible job, that I'm not cutting it, that I'm flopping so miser miserably that those around me must think I'm pathetic. When I start hearing these tapes that I don't measure up, I'm not doing enough, I'm simply not enough, it's a flag on the play. It alerts me that I'm not being present. And being present is, for me, an effective antidote to anxiety a lot of the time. I've wrestled with anxiety off and on for most of my life, but just last week I heard a fantastic description that was new to me, which is this. Anxiety is a little demon that goes out ahead and then runs screaming back, there might be trouble ahead. <laughs> it carries suitcases, and inside these suitcases are reels upon reels of tapes. And the little demon opens up his suitcase and starts pulling out tapes and popping them into his little demon boombox. Then he looks at me to see, is this the one you need to hear? In order to get all worked up and completely off-center, I mean. That one didn't do it? Okay, how about this one? <laughs> the tapes, of course, are things I've thought or heard people say over the years that stuck in some negative, hurtful way. And when the demon finds a tape or two that work in that moment, he's got me. Then everything becomes a hundred times more difficult because I'm trying to do the next thing with a few hundred pounds of weight wrapped around my limbs and my brain. And here's the thing about parenting. A lot of it is unpredictable. I can't predict that Rory is going to scream most of the day and we won't be able to figure out why. I can't predict that Desmond is going to be up for an hour in the middle of the night with explosive diarrhea. I would not predict that, <laughs> I can promise you. And all of that unpredictability is a gold mine for the little anxiety demon. Last Saturday, this all played out similarly to how it has many, many times before. We were going to help my sister-in-law Susan for the day because she and my brother recently brought home a newborn foster son who is the brother of the 13-month-old foster son already in their care both of whom are additions to their older children, Sydney and Aiden, who I mentioned before. That day, a series of little things gone wrong whipped up an anxiety storm inside my brain. 
We left our house late, and the anxious energy started coursing through my veins. Within minutes of arriving, Rory started grabbing everything in sight that he shouldn't be grabbing. When it was time for Rory's nap, and I was going to get to be helpful, Rory cried and wiggled and fought while I tried to calm him and get him to sleep. He is heavy, and I was tired, and this was hard. Instead of sleeping for two hours, he slept for about 40 minutes, and I tried again with all my might to help him sleep, but it didn't work, and I was drained. I felt my emotions and my mental clarity fraying. I started hearing tapes that I shouldn't be upset about this. I shouldn't have an emotional reaction to the challenges of parenting. This made me feel incompetent, and by then I was pretty far into a hole. Fortunately, not long after that, Maddie and Des arrived from the birthday party they'd been attending. We took all the kids for a pleasant walk in beautiful weather, which should have helped, but I still felt the twisting weight of anxiety in my chest. Maddie offered to play with all the kids in the backyard, so Susan and I took a break and chatted inside, but the anxiety still didn't go away. When we decided to stay for the evening and share pizza for dinner, I spoke up and said, I'd really like to be the one to go get that cheap Costco pizza. I knew I needed to remove myself from the scene for a bit. While I was out, I read through a list of reminders I've compiled in my phone. It contains various bits of truth that can help me to get out of the grip of the little anxiety demon. They say things like, this is so great because we just sang it, what does God require of me? to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. And it's okay to ask for help. On the pizza run last Saturday, the reminder that helped was this one. There will be things that cause me to be, feel frustrated, disappointed, anxiety-ridden, overwhelmed. That is just part of life. I do not have to let those things have power over me. I can feel them, give them their due, and then let them roll off me. I can choose to embrace the next moment. I don't have to let the negative moments steal the next moments, which could be beautiful and life-giving. As I sat there in the car in the Costco parking lot, I thought to myself, that's the one. That's the reminder I need right now. Because just as the anxiety demon can usually find a particularly effective tape, so too can I find a helpful truth most times. On that day, I continued to sit in the car for a few minutes and really think about what was actually going on. Not the tapes, but reality. I paid attention to my body, which still felt like it was buzzing and heavy. I acknowledged that leaving our house late was frustrating, and Rory's difficulty napping was stressful. Rory's high energy and constant destruction is legitimately exhausting. All of that was true. But it was also true that there was a backyard full of the kids I love more than anything else on earth. And they were all running around in the sunshine with my amazing husband who isn't phased by any of it. <laughs> my sister-in-law had been very grateful for the company and we'd brought her lunch and now dinner, so that was something. And on top of that, my sweet mother-in-law had gotten to take a little snooze on the couch cuddled up with a two-week-old baby. And it dawned on me that not only are those moments wonderful, but they are kingdom of God moments. They are the moments when we are getting a little taste of God's intention for us, which is to know and live and breathe love and joy and care for one another. 
Well, I picked up that cheap pizza and went back to the house with a clear head. I held, I fed, I diapered, I laughed, I hugged. I got to embrace and enjoy the evening. As dinner was wrapping up, an idea struck me. I always want to spend special one-on-one -on -one time with Sydney, but it rarely happens. It could happen right then. Maddie had driven separately, so he had a car in which he could take the boys and his mom home. Sydney didn't have school the next day. I whispered to Maddie, then to Susan, and everyone was all for it. So I called Sydney aside and asked her, and she jumped up and down with glee. <laughs> we had no idea where we were going, but we donned our coats and shoes and ran to the car. We went to Petco and cooed at the animals. <laughs> we went to Barnes & Noble and salivated over books. She then wanted to go into the mall, so we did that, <laughs> which is when we spotted the nail place, and by golly, we splurged for pedicures. Those three hours with that nine-year-old made for one of the most profoundly satisfying evenings I've had in a long time. It was a kingdom of God evening for me, a true glimpse of heaven, and it never would have happened if I hadn't gotten free of the anxiety demon so that I could be truly present. It was being present that allowed me to recognize the possibility for connection. Just like she taught me about being a wholehearted mama when she was a baby, here Sydney was teaching me again. In the story from the book of Luke, Martha is busy. She is distracted, and I believe she's in the grip of something like the anxiety demon. I believe this because her words reflect it when she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Lord, don't you care? Don't you care? That's a tape. A tape telling Martha that no one cares about her. No one cares about the, about the workload before her. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. I think he is a little sad that the anxiety demon has her in its grip. A little sad that she hasn't been able to be present to what is happening in the room. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. My evening with Sydney will never be taken away from me, and the tender moments I share with Desmond and Rory are mine forever. In life, and definitely in parenting, however, there are tasks that have to be done. Meals have to be prepared, dishes have to be washed, diapers have to be changed, and so on. We all have work we have to do of one kind or another, and there is satisfaction in doing meaningful work. It's energizing to be productive. I really enjoy being productive, but when the day is going sideways and I can't seem to complete a single task, that's when the anxiety demon makes his entrance. So I'm trying to learn to be present to all of it, not just the blissful times like pedicures with Sydney, but to the trying moments, like Desmond hitting or Rory screaming. Because if I stop what I'm doing and I kneel down to my boys and I really listen to them, I have done an act of love. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we do, but how much love we put into the doing. And I want that truth to be the melody of my life. It isn't fully yet, but I'm working on it. It's not how much we do, but how much love we put into the doing. P. 
People have long referred to the balancing act of life, but that doesn't work for me. For one, I don't want to spend my life balancing a bunch of spinning plates. And secondly, I don't think I can actually keep it all in balance anyway. Instead, I really love the image of the dance. I'm over here washing the breakfast dishes and putting love into that act. Now I'm here reading a story to my sons and putting love into that act. Here, laundry. Here, tickle monster. Present. Hearing and seeing what is in the room now. Brushing aside the anxiety demon and his tapes. That's where I'm trying to be. That's what God is helping me to learn. Before I close, I'd like to ask you to do something. Would you please turn to someone next to you and look that child of God in the eyes and say, you are enough. One more. Now say, the work you do is a blessing because you do it with great love. Here are a few queries as we enter into open worship. What are the situations that pull you away from being truly present? What are the indicators to you that you are not present? In other words, how can you tell? How would God like to help you with that?